Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and uh, we're doing this on the Gold Coast uh, today because I've got a speech, a speech that uh, has been, they've been trying to organise this speech for over a year and it's a good sign for the economy when events are going ahead. In fact, when I went into the Gold Coast airport from Sydney, um, there was no police checking um, whether you were vaccinated or not. That's another positive sign, I think, for the economy that kind of the barriers and obstacles to economic growth are gradually dissipating and disappearing. But the stock market's not seeing that way. At the moment, the stock market is very, very negative. Um, I personally think it's a buying opportunity, but of course you have to work out when the right time to buy comes along. And to try and work that out, I've got my good friend and expert on the market, Rudy Philippek Van Dyke of FN Arena. We're going to look about and we'll analyze just how scared you should be about the current sell-off. He also looks at five or six stocks that have been upgraded by the analysts. So they believe that A, the company's doing well and B, uh, there's plenty of upside to their share price. So I'll share them with you when I uh, show you the interview with Rudy Philippek Van Dyke. Then I've got Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital who manages the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. So of course, he's a dividend specialising fund, but he does chase growth as well. And Marcus quite likes um, companies like BHP and the telecoms. He thinks telecoms are looking very good value, particularly when it comes to the yield. And that's because the share price recently has fallen pretty steeply. He looks at those um, two sectors, resources and telecoms, but he also looks at some others as well. And finally, because it's the Thursday show, I always like to include a bit of property. We've got Simon Presley of Propertyology. Uh, Simon's a really good analyst when it comes to investing in property. And he gives us his seven tips for property investing. And they are really, really informative. I like the way he actually looks at property from a, a stock point of view. Some of the values, some of the, the drivers that help me pick stocks, he actually uses the same kind of drivers to pick property as well. That's the show, so let's kick off with Rudy Philippek Van Dyke of FN Arena. Well, my first guest on the program is Rudy Philippek Van Dyke, the founder of FN Arena. And a really appropriate uh, day with the market um, behaving kind of strangely, up a lot early, then down pretty solidly. Uh, I'm very interested to hear what Rudy thinks is going on. Rudy, thanks for joining us. Oh, Peter, my pleasure. It's uh, the first time in 2022, and there has to be a first time uh, at some point. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> and we're honoured that you've made, made the, the time for us. Yeah. Rudy, um, you know, we all were waiting to hear what Jerome Powell had to say. Mm. Um, and it seemed like the market liked what it, he, he said. I think the, the Dow went up, didn't it? Did it finish up? Oh. It might have gone down in the end. Maybe yeah, yeah, it went yeah. up for a while. But then we we had a nice solid start here. And I looked at my super fund and I was feeling very happy with myself. And now I looked at it before I came to talk to you and I'm not so happy with myself. What do you think is going on? Peter, I, I think... There's actually a whole lot going on. And um, you, you will remember that sometimes I compare the, the share market to a, to, a, to a very volatile teenager. And that means that uh, the share market can actually pay attention to one, one item at a time. Hmm. And at the moment, there's quite a lot. 
and 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 uh, I wrote a story this week just to keep investors and and a little bit informed. It's not just power and interest rates. I mean, um, I have to say this for the very first time, and I've been doing this for quite a while. For the very first time, I actually was a little bit worried this month that we might actually get some uh, get some uh, military action uh, around the world and. This time involving the, some of the greater powers of today's uh, world on opposite sides, yeah. um, and I think at the very least that will that will unsettle um, some people, and uh, it definitely made me a little bit wary as well of what what could potentially uh, unfold in terms of scenarios. It doesn't mean that we will obviously have that we're on, on the on the cusp of World War Three here. Um, but it can mean that we can, we can get we can get some some nasty news either from uh, from Russia or, or even from the Chinese as well, and that's obviously something that um, well we don't want to see that. And and I can see how some people um, take it as a reason to take some risk off the table. Yeah. Now, if we leave if we leave that aside, because I mean we can really speculate what Putin's plans are and and how that's uh, going to evolve. I also think one of the Apart from the in, from all the bond yield interest rates uh, consideration and everything, I think what we're seeing in the Australian share market also is something that we haven't seen for really, really uh, a long while, is that we're actually seeing profit warnings. And this every day, there's, there's, a, there's a, few com- a number of companies that uh, fess up and say to investors, listen, um, we know those expectations from yesterday. Well, we're not going to meet them, basically. And and you see that you see share prices going down by seven, thirteen, twenty percent, um, depending on on what type of company it is and and how severe the the profit warning is. But um, we have to go back to uh, to twenty nineteen when was the last year that we had profit warnings that we actually paid attention to because we obviously had them in twenty twenty, but investors in twenty twenty were prepared to look through the short term impact and and ignore that. Then in 2021, we, we had no profit warnings. Well, this, I mean, there might have been a few, but it's, there's none that comes to mind in, in my uh, recollection. And now all of a sudden we're back in, in 2022. I mean, I meant to say 2021 before, by the way. Mm-hmm. And now we're back in 2022. And all of a sudden it looks like we're back in 2019. And in 2019, if people remember, 2019 was not a good year for the Australian uh, corporate uh, Australia. We had lots of profit warnings, um, both um, pre-February as pre-August. And then we got a lot of profit warnings after August, because then we had the, the energy companies, the cyclicals, and the banks uh, cutting their dividends and, and, and issuing really dire uh, warnings. Now, we're not, we're not back at that stage, but we're obviously coming back from a market that has been quite positive uh, in 2021. Yeah. Share prices. Uh, I think everyone agrees on that. You're going to disagree on the on the level and the and the, the gradient, and but I think everyone agrees the share prices weren't particularly cheap when we left 2021 behind us. And now, of of course, we have a lot of uncertainty, and we're seeing profit warnings. So um, the initial response that we have is, of course, when share prices go down by 10, 15, 20 percent, is oh, there's there's a lot of value on offer now um, because it does make a big difference. But if those companies then issue profit warnings, all of a sudden it becomes more of a, a muddy concept now because uh, they're not supposed to issue profit warnings before they sell off by 20%. Yeah, yeah really. So is a, is a part of it, do you think, 
Well, some businesses are suffering a, a, a lack of business because of Omicron, you know, less people showing up to their, their restaurants, their hotels, their, their airlines and whatever. And on the flip side, Omicron and its related uh, Delta variant has been really bad for supply chain, pushing up costs. So you've got a shrinking demand, higher costs, and so that probably is at the core of a lot of this, um, these concerns about profits. Absolutely. And, and you can combine uh, inflation as well. Um, we, we tend to, we tend to um, um, discuss inflation in terms of it has an impact on the RBA and on bond yields. Hmm. But for a lot of companies, it means the, the input costs are going up and, and they can't quickly uh, remedy that. So that means less profits. And we've seen that uh, over the past few weeks that a lot of uh, resources producers uh, have to come out and say, like, listen, we are, we are still digging enough out of the ground, but we're doing at a higher cost, which means we won't make the profits that you that you thought we were making. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to eventually say to you, we'll look really at lots of stocks have been sold off. And a lot of the selling seems to be indiscriminate, as it often is when people when markets get really um, afraid. Um, so I'm going to ask you that before you, I release you to the real world again, um, rather than the Switzer world. Um, but can, can I ask you this question? Do you agree with this? And I often you know, use you as a sounding board for some of my more controversial views on what might happen. So we started the year off, and I think that the Fed was kind of looking at three interest rate rises. And the, the, the bond market basically said, I know we think it's more like five, right? And then Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, said seven. And a guy who I actually do respect, and I've made a lot of money believing in, in what he's you know, said about the US stock market, namely Professor Jeremy Siegel, he, he thinks there could be eight interest rate rises. I think he's going to be wrong on that. I think J- J- Jamie um, Diamond could be wrong on that as well. If we end up getting less interest rate rises, then the worst case scenarios are factoring in. Factoring in. Do you think that will be a trigger for a, a comeback in stocks and, and even some tech stocks that have been excessively sold off on the basis that interest rates could go a lot higher than we thought at the beginning of the year? The short answer is yes, yes, and yes. Um, That's it. About, okay, we're finished now. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> about, about, the, about the technology stocks. I think it's more important for people to understand that not all technology stocks are equal. Yep. And, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gigantic difference in, in quality. And I, and, I, and I agree. I've already seen some other people making those calls. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I would probably own a few of those companies myself. Hmm that the quality will rise to the surface. And even though in the short term, it's indiscriminate, they will recover quicker and they will return much, much higher benefits uh, in the long run. Some of those lower quality uh, technology stocks, they will never return to where they were. And that is simply because they didn't deserve to be there in the first place. I think to, to answer your question into more detail, I think it's not just although I, I, I sympathize with your sentiment that, and that's probably true that the market is getting, again, um, ahead of itself in, in terms of uh, bond deals, interest rate hikes, and et cetera. But I think the, 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 the question mark that remains is, is once this tightening starts, 
is, is, is how it's going to impact on the economy. And I've seen quite some analysts, some market strategists making a call for this year that we will have a recession scare, which doesn't mean we're going to have a recession, but we're going to have a recession scare. Yeah. And that in itself is going to, is, is, is further reason to spook investors and to keep volatility high and potentially uh, more selling. But I, I also um, agree with your underlying sentiment. Ultimately, we will get, we will get out of this. And, and I think those investors who have the quality stocks in their portfolio will do better yeah. throughout the volatility and uh, over time. Yeah, and so, like the classic example to me, and this is take the tech stocks, and I, and I think tech stocks will take time to, to get re-loved again. Mm. But in Australia, I would rather zero over Newix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy one. That's an, that's an easy, easy one. one. That's, but yeah, but not... was when well, Newix was $11 stock, and they all thought it was a fantastic company. Yeah. All of a sudden, we yeah. realized that they weren't as mm. believable as we thought they were. But I think well, in that case, Macquarie sold us a big red lipstick on. Mm, yeah. Very true, Rudy. Okay. Let's, so, let, so before I, I get you to, to name some stocks you think really like good mm. value, so therefore, for the, the the long term investor, then because this is a time for short term uh, traders, isn't it? You know, they they've made money, they're quick sellers, and they'll probably be buyers of the stuff they're selling today in a couple of days' time or a couple of weeks' time, whenever, whenever the same it turns Absolutely. around. But this is still a great opportunity for the long term patient mm -hmm. investor, but they just have to have the, a the courage to buy and b just wait until. What I think will be strong economic growth somewhere down the track 2022, which rolls into 2023. And maybe question marks will be along 2023, too many interest rate rises and all that sort of stuff. But we'll talk about that in 2023, God willing. All right. So, do you think this is a buying opportunity for the patient long term investor? Yes, but also in, but of course, in, in selected stocks. And, um, and, I, and I do think that there's two types of risk. One is, the, is that you buy today and share prices fall for the next week. So you basically meet your timing is off. Yeah. That does by no means mean that, that your, your stock will not perform. I mean, it just means that you didn't, you didn't pick the bottom. Yeah. The, the problem, the other risk is that if you try to pick the bottom, that you actually might wake up on a day and the market is up by 5%, yeah. uh, which is very, very likely when, when the selling is so persistent. And then, of course, then you have to buy it in a higher level. So it's not, it's not an easy game. But what I notice, and as, and as you know, and hopefully the viewers know this as well, is that I do pay attention to all the views that come from the experts and from the subbook and stuff like that. And here's one, one thing I start to notice. They started to issuing upgrades for the quality stocks in the market. And, and you, you mentioned zero earlier. I haven't seen any, anything for zero, but I have seen the upgrades coming in for ProMedicus, for example. Yeah. And, and, and today, RBC Capital um, put, a, for memory, a $58 price target on, 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 on ProMedicus, saying you have to take a 12-month view, which basically says, can the share price go weaker tomorrow? Absolutely. And next week and next month. Yeah? But they are quite comfortable that a quality stock like Promedicus, if you take a year or two years view at today's price already, which I think is around in, in the early 40s now, uh, would be great. Buy. And I'm almost inclined to agree with that. I mean, I still own Promedicus. Um, it, it, is, it is a relatively small size in my portfolio because that's my way of, of reducing risk. I just reduce my, my exposure a little bit, but I don't really sell out completely. Mm. 
But there are a few other ones. I mean, REA Group and Seek have, have received upgrades. Yeah. Um, one that hasn't received the upgrades, but which I would nominate almost by default, would be a company like Mcore, um, which I, apart from indiscriminate selling, have no idea why they're selling in the first place. Um, and it should be should be a lot higher than where, than where it is today. But I've also seen, for example, a uh, upgrades coming through or positive commentary coming through for companies like uh, a Breville Group. And, and I own that one too, by the way. And, and I'm a big fan still, and I've seen positive commentary coming through uh, for ResMed. And, and, and ResMed, of course, uh, reports on Friday, which mm -hmm. is tomorrow. And in the short term, again, because we're in this context of uh, supply chains, uh, problems, and maybe chip shortages. So it is well possible that a company like ResMed in the short term can't meet market expectations because it's outside of their hand, but analysts are pretty much convinced that they will have a good year ahead of them, which means post this quarter, what we say about the report, it should be okay. Yeah, so both Brizzle and Brivel and Rizmid have had upgrades, are you saying? Yes, they've both been upgraded, yes. Okay. Yes. Now, here's a really easy one, Rudy. In, in our long relationship, whenever I say to you, what's the quality company you would recommend, you always come up, like Paul Rickard does, with CSL. Yes. Now, yeah. As current price, you know, when we did our Boon Doon Zoom show this morning, um, Paul, Paul made the point, you know, with its um, capital raise coming on, um, it could, it, the price could be 244. It's, 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 probably look, it's probably looking towards a, a shortfall yeah. um, because um, I think the, the logical response from a lot of retail investors is at this price, I'm not, I'm not taking up my, my share. Um, they're still getting a 2%, like a lot of people don't pay attention to detail, but so they, they should know that CSL has guaranteed them that they will get an advantageous price. Mm. So if the price falls, you get 2% off an average over, I think, seven days leading into this, the 7th of February. So at this price, you're going you're gonna to get it somewhere in the 240s. Yes, you're going to get a really big deal. The, the institutions last year paid uh, $40 more per share. Um, so um, I would take it up, to be honest. I mean, I remain a believer in, in that long-term long -term story. And, and as a matter of fact, I mean, uh, 2023 should be, should be sort of like a recovery year for, for CSL in the first place. Okay. Um, at, at the moment, of course, the market is focusing on the fact that they will most likely have a, have a, fu a funding shortfall and, and that's bad news. Hmm. Yeah. I still think they'll find the money somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's gone. It could affect their, their, their short-term profitability. One, one last question to you, uh, Rudy. You know, um, what is the, the company that... Now, it, all those companies that um, the Courageous bought in May and June of 2020... Namely, the Webjets, the Qantases, all those sort of travel stocks. And we're, we're hoping that reopening would come by November of 2020 and didn't happen. And then we hoped it would come by the middle of 2021 and it didn't happen. Um, but to me, it looks like we're, unless you know, another curveball, Omicron, comes along, it looks like a very good chance that you know, we will be travelling OS in 2022. If that happens... If that happens, and we know this, these these stocks have, have delivered really well for the courageous 
investors in the in the you know if, if you bought in those early months yeah. after the crash. Yeah. People have bought a bit later may, may well not be as happy. Is there another leg up for these? Like once a company like Qantas is back normal and you know, Rudy Philippeck Van Dyke and his beloved goes to Belgium for, for the first time <laughs> in a long, long time. Peter, you know, it is, it is definitely possible. Network. And obviously you've already sort of like answered your own question, but I, I, I have to, I have to uh, point out that the market has consistently been too optimistic uh, about the reopening of those uh, of those industries, yeah. and, um, and 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 just I mean some industries like for example uh, movie theaters, um, I'm I'm very cautious. I mean uh, I, I can almost not see how these guys can survive without extra injections, help, support, you name it. Um, and I'm not so I'm not so certain how quickly um, the travel is is going to recover, including business travel. And, and, and also there's a lot of other changes as well. Work from home will stay around. Offices won't disappear, but it will still be not, not, not as the old regime. And, and we are going through changes. I mean, we'll do, we will do more online, et cetera, et cetera. And some things will nev never go back. Yeah. So on that basis, one final question then. I know you don't, well, I always presume you don't invest overseas, but you're such a, a, a wily investor. Maybe you do. A company like Zoom has been smashed up, but... Mm. Zoom is going to be replaced in a lot of business travel. You, you and I are doing this on Zoom. I get access to CEOs like I've never got access before. The quality of my program is better as a consequence of Zoom. Is this going to be a company of the future, do you think? It's an interesting one because I know from experience and from what I hear and I use Zoom, um, I know that a lot of um, people like you and, you and me, we like Zoom. But I also know that uh, Zoom is far from the only one in that, in that sector. And for example, in the business world, uh, people tend to use, um, I think the Oracle alternative and the Microsoft alternative, That's Microsoft Teams. Team. Yeah. So I think it's not that straightforward. It, there's more to it. And I, and I do believe that Wall Street at some stage got worried that uh, Microsoft does what it, what it did with its browser. And that's basically destroying all the other ones or trying to. Um, so there could be some competitive pressure there. So uh, I, I don't um, analyze Zoom very closely, but I do know that the share price has, has come under pressure a lot. Yeah. And I do think that uh, the, the advent of Microsoft is, because Microsoft, let's face it, uh, you better not find yourself on the wrong side in the market right. if Microsoft is on the other side. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the gorilla that keeps on delivering for shareholders. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's truly one of those companies that just, that just keeps, keeps doing it, basically. And, um, and shareholders, uh, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine there's one unhappy shareholder at Microsoft. <laughs> That's for sure. Mate, thanks for joining us on the program. As always, great to um, see the founder of FN Arena, Rudy Philippic Mandai. Thank you, Peter. Well, catching up now with Marcus Bogdan, the fund manager from Blackmore's Capital, and he looks after Switzerland Dividend Growth Fund, which specialises, of course, in dividends. But Marcus is always on the lookout for growth as well. And at the moment, there hasn't been much growth. The market's been down pretty seriously since the beginning of the year. It has. It's been a very uh, unusual start to the year. Uh, the ASX 200 is down around 65 
percent. So it's a significant pullback. Uh, but the the underlying movements are quite interesting, and there's definitely been a separation or a bifurcation in performance of the markets. What has done incredibly well uh, is the big Australian, BHP, uh, has actually moved up cons considerably in the last month or so. You've had the unification uh, shareholding agreement there and also quite strong underlying commodity prices, particularly iron ore. That's going to generate a lot of cash for, for BHP, uh, and that will represent a very good dividend yield uh, expected for their first half result. Energy has been well supported because of the oil sector. Uh, but on the other side of that, growth stocks are the ones that have been punished considerably with the expectation that interest rates now will start to rise and potentially quite aggressively in the US. I don't think we're going to have that same framework in Australia or to that extent. And the other areas which have been affected, and they've been affected because of they've been in the jaws of Omicron, uh, has been the healthcare sector and consumer staples. And I think both of those sectors are starting to look interesting because I think the, the impacts that they're seeing will be short term. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting today, I did a story uh, for Two GB around um, the fact that food prices um, in the December quarter, the inflation basically doubled—not food prices, but the the rise. In, mm -hmm. yeah. And that should be good for some of your holdings, like Woolworths and Coles. Yes, it should. That should certainly translate, and you're starting to see inflation. Not only in fresh, particularly in meat, but also now in dry goods. And historically, uh, that has translated into, into a better performance for the supermarkets. Uh, and both, obviously, Woolworths uh, and Coles are in the portfolio. Yeah. You, you made reference to telcos. Uh, are you saying that the dividend yield looks good because the market has probably oversold these, these companies? Well, they have also come back in the last month, month, month or so, around of where the market has has pulled back around six six percent. But Spark uh, New Zealand, which is the New Zealand telecom company, which is listed on the ASX two hundred, uh, is now providing a dividend yield of around five point seven percent. Uh, we think that is absolutely maintainable and they should be able to grow their dividend uh, over the forecast period. And Telstra, which was uh, one of the outperformers last year, has also come back uh, in January uh, and now they're yielding uh, just over 4%. Uh, the 16 cents we believe is maintainable uh, and Telstra has the, the additional benefit of franking credits on top of that. Okay, so... Um, yeah. I noticed that the unit price of um, Switzerland Growth Fund has copped it, uh, and I, I figure part of it's because the banks have copped it and, and so on and so forth. Are you expecting a rebound of the unit price as the banks and, and some of the, the, the core holdings of your fund um, you know, start to you know, recover from the sell-off? 
Yeah, they are absolutely sensitive to those to those elements. Uh, importantly, the the reduction in the por portfolio hasn't been as great as the as the market over January so far, and it's exhibited lower volatility, volatility, um, better downside protection. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, collectively, the banks, consumer staples, healthcare sectors. Uh, I think those all should recover over time. Uh, and the banks are interesting because uh, they should pay attractive dividend yields of at least 4%, and they may be beneficiaries of higher interest rates and improving their margin outlook. Okay. What is your position on the Westpac um, buyback? Uh, the Westpac buyback, depending on your on tax consider, consideration, but obviously that that franking credit that potentially that you can can you can receive is attractive for those investors in in the right tax bracket. It's not necessarily something you participate in with the fund. No, no, um, and I think, uh, but it will result. The net result of it will be that there'll be fewer shares on issue for Westpac. Uh, and that will be uh, uh, a beneficial uh, to earnings per share growth uh, and the sustainability of the dividend. And, and what about um, CSL? What, what's your, your position on CSL? We still believe that CSL is one of Australia's outstanding com companies uh, and that the outlook for CSL is remains particularly promising. Uh, in its underlying business of plasma therapies, the level of new R&D um, expenditure that they've got there uh, and the potential of new products, uh, and they've got a, history, a very strong history of, of bringing new products in and new revenue streams in. The vaccine business should continue to do well, uh, but they're currently uh, acquiring a Swiss comp company uh, and that is expected to deliver uh, a be EPS accretive uh, over the forecast period. And so CSL has been sold down. It's been sold down over 10% in January, uh, but we believe that the underlying fundamentals of CSL remain robust. So, so if you were forced to make a decision about whether CSL was a buy at these levels or a sell, what would you say? Oh, for the for the investor, for the medium to long long term, uh, we certainly believe that uh, CSL remain remains a core portfolio stock. Okay, let's get big picture now. We know that. <clears throat> Part of the negativity around the moment is that the US is going to be raising interest rates. And basically, the central bank boss there, Jerome Powell, said this morning it's going to be March. Um, what, what is your best guess on how many interest rate rises the Fed will impose? You know, we once were thinking, talking three. I think the market has been predicting five. But you've got Jamie Dimon saying seven. I think Jeremy Siegel has actually said eight. What's your best guess? Well, uh, as someone like you who studied economics, uh, it is a social science. And six six months ago, there was an, it was there was no prospects of interest rate rises in the United States in 2022. Fast forward uh, with much higher inflation, very very strong employment numbers. Uh, and the Federal Reserve is deeply behind the curve. Uh, and so that, that has accelerated uh, their push 
to, uh, to not only cease their liquidity, but also start to raise interest rates. And I was on a conference yesterday uh, with Goldman Sachs, uh, and their suggestion is that uh, there'll, there'll be um, four interest rate rises in the United States. Uh, but I think there's a, it's a quite different prospect for uh, Australia for, the, for this year. Well, let's finish on Australia, but let me just do one last thing. That given the fact that the market is a little bit more excitable about rising interest rates than, say, Goldman Sachs um, and even the, the Federal Reserve, do you think then that if it does come to pass that rates don't rise as quickly as some people think now, tech stocks could actually come back into favour because, A, they've been sold off and B, the interest rate scenario uh, might not be as scary as it currently is. If bond yields start to fall on the expectation we've got slower economic growth or the pathway forward on those interest rate rises is not as uh, significant as, you, as you're stating, uh, there will be um, a recalibration and a relook back at those growth stocks. But I think the emphasis on those growth stocks has to be first and foremost on those growth stocks that have, uh, that have actually got profitability. You know, those co co companies, those strong companies such, such as Microsoft, rather than those companies uh, which uh, have good growth prospects but are still not translating that into, into earnings. Yeah. So I do think that this year the emphasis will be on quality and sustainable franchises. Okay. Let's finish up on local interest rates. Um, until the inflation number this week, we were thinking November was more likely. Now we have Bill Evans from Westpac go for August, and a lot more economists are agreeing with Bill now that August could be the first rate rise, uh, and then they might have another two after that, and we could end up at 1% by the end of the year. What's your feeling on that? Well, we're certainly not going to be moving at the trajectory of the United States, and nor should we, because our economic fundamentals, whilst they have similar characteristics, are different. Uh, but in the latter half, if we continue on what we expect to be still good economic growth in Australia, uh, a very good outlook on employment, and also starting to see wages growth coming up to where the RBA would want it to be, I think it is a natural extension that we do start to see interest rate rises coming off their very, very low base. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. I think if they can do it gradually and, uh, and consistently, uh, then I think the markets can absorb that. Yeah, great stuff. Marcus Bogdan, Blackmore Capital and Switzerland Dividend Growth Fund, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, joining me now is Simon Presley from Propertyology. Good to see you, mate. Hi, Peter. Happy 2020, 2022, my friend. Yeah, thanks very much. And I guess, you know, I guess if you're a permanent property bull, which I'm not, I, I know property doesn't always do fantastically well. Um, or at the same time, right across the country in every city or, or um, a province. But certainly, um, we know interest rates are on the rise. It's been a, a fantastic time for lots of um, 
uh, investors out there in property or owners of property. But this year could be a little bit more challenging. What do you think, Simon? No, I think um, 2022 uh, is going to be, it'll, it'll go down in history as one of the best years for property markets. Um, unrealistic to expect that it will be as strong as 2021, but geez, it was an incredibly high bar that we set last year, wasn't it? But um, large parts of Australia this year, with or without um, interest rate rises, um, will get double digit growth, I think, this year. Some locations will be really, really deep into the double digits, um, will probably exceed 20%. Yeah, and even if interest rates rise, as I expect them, I expect that they will, they're still coming up such low levels. Um, yeah. And so let's go through, I ask you to give us sort of your seven um, great tips when it comes to um, investing in property. And your first one is around the financial instrument. What's that all about? Yeah, so I mean, whilst um, property and shares are completely different asset classes, um, when you're looking to acquire property for investment purposes, you need to adopt a very similar mindset to what a share investor would do. Propertyology sees property not about the bricks and mortar. It's a, it is a financial instrument. So we're not making decisions based on how the bricks and mortar looks uh, or whether ourselves would live in it um, as a family home because that's not the objective. It's a financial outcome. Whether a location's coastal or inland or whether it's got a warm climate or a cool climate, are personal and highly subjective things and nothing at all to do with how a market will perform. Yeah, I must admit, um, Simon, when it comes to investing in stocks, I always like to buy quality companies when the market really wants to sell off. Can the same opportunity happen with property, do you think? Um, well, the, the, the different thing about property to shares is it's highly subjective. So what constitutes quality? You know, for some people, um, it, it will be Sydney, you know, but for some others, it's Byron Bay. For someone else, it's Orange in New South Wales or Ballarat in Victoria. So um, it's a subjective definition that I would discourage any property investor um, trying to create their own definition for and understand what, that, what the F word means, what does fundamentals mean for property markets and where do we get that information and interpret it. Okay, let's get your second one now. That's growth drivers. Yeah, a lot of people for growth drivers, they think it's uh, it's to do with population growth. Well, we've produced all sorts of um, evidence-based studies over the years proving that whilst it is an influence, it has a very nominal influence in the overall scheme of things. Growth drivers for property markets is all about economic growth. And to do that well as a property investor, we need to pay less attention to the macro factors such as Australia's economy as a whole or Queensland's economy as a state. And we need to take a keen interest in the micro economies, the individual towns and cities, the decisions that are happening today and how it's going to affect their local economy. If you get that anticipation correct, that's where the property growth will, will, will come from, from that economic growth. Yeah. What's the best example of a, of a place that had its own individual um, overwhelmingly great economic growth and as a consequence, property investors did very well? Uh, the one that comes to mind immediately in recent history is Hobart. Um, if we go back to 2013, property markets um, had just started to accelerate in places like Sydney and Melbourne, but they were dead flat everywhere else. And the state of Tasmania was in recession in the year 2013. Nowhere else in Australia was, but Tassie was. We invested in Hobart in 2014 on the anticipation that there was going to be significant and sustainable economic growth. Fast forward the last seven years, there is no property market anywhere in Australia, capital city or region, that has performed better than the city of Hobart, and that's an economic growth story. Yeah. 
Let's get a third one now. 100% of your options. Yeah, so a share investor would recognise there are thousands of companies on the stock exchange. The equivalent of that to a property investor, we've got the obvious eight capital cities, but there are also 200 individual regional towns and cities. Some of those locations are very big. Geelong and Wollongong and Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast, for example. There's some medium-sized ones and some really small ones. But we need to consider all of our options to give ourselves the best chance of making the best decision for financial gain. And we need to see ourselves as what we call borderless, where Peter chooses to live and Simon chooses to live is completely irrelevant when making that investment decision. All of Australia is the equivalent of the companies on the stock exchange to us. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm thinking about this now as I listen to you. I know one of my guests on the program, Julia Lee, the fund investor, she said that you often find on the Australian stock market that the stocks that did really, really well last year have the momentum to do well again in the second year. Do you see the same kind of thing happening when it comes to those sorts of areas that have started to do well that last more than a year? Uh, yeah, so in property markets, we call that a growth cycle, um, usually referred to as a period of years where um, well above average rates of growth are seen. But we can't, there's no mathematical formula for this. And the growth cycle is determined by the decisions we've been talking about there earlier, you know, um, you know, economic growth and understanding the supply channels of things. But it's very rare, Peter, for an individual town or city to have a growth cycle that goes beyond four years. History has taught us that. So a market that might be doing well today, but it's already done very well for three or four years, Logic suggests it's probably closer to the end of its cycle than the beginning of its cycle. Has Byron Bay defied that, um, that generality? It, it has, and that's why it's important not to generalise to, you know, that four, four years is historically proven to be as long as you get, but we still need to look at the individual fundamentals and make an objective assessment. And if the fundamentals are, are still strong, then that growth cycle will continue. Hobart's that story. It's yeah. fundamentals today are as strong as what they've ever been, but yet it's been in a growth cycle for seven years already. Let's go to your fourth one. Respect the number one golden financial rule. We've all heard of it, but unfortunately, most property investors are horrible at paying attention to it. Do not place all your eggs in the one basket. Whether it's a business owner who doesn't want to have too much of their annual revenue coming from one customer, or whether it's a share investor having too much exposure to one industry on the stock exchange, property investors for the same reasons need to respect the golden financial rule. So for propertyology, we refuse to buy a property that costs more than a million dollars. We have clients who can afford to do that, but you should never put so much capital into one asset. We don't want to have too much exposure in any one city or any one state. So again, we're following principles that the share investor would do as they're building a sustainable portfolio on the stock market. We're doing a similar thing for a property investor on the property market. Yeah, it's diversification, isn't it, mate? It is. Let's go to your fifth one now, respect cash flow. 
Uh, yes, cash flow is very important for property investors because this asset class is uh, very expensive to, to acquire. It's almost always associated with a debt attached to the asset. So um, there's absolutely no excuse uh, in a climate like now where we've got interest rates that are roughly 2.5%. And even if we sort of said, look, at some stage over the next couple of years, they might progressively go up to 3.5%. That's still an incredibly low interest rate. Large parts of Australia, you can still get a really strong rental yield of somewhere between four, and in some cases up to five and a half percent. So there's no excuse for any property investor to be buying an investment property and to be forking out more than $5,000 or more per annum to supplement the shortfall between annual rents and annual expenses. No excuse. Okay. Don't touch apartments. Don't touch apartments, yes. Um, again, we're, we're very evidence-based and we're not saying that apartments will not grow in value or that townhouses will not grow in value. But what the evidence has um, you know, totally taught us is that a conventional stock standard detached house will always have the widest volume of future buyers. So we'd be crazy to not um, pay respect to that really important piece of evidence by detached houses. Okay, your final one, genuine experts. Yes, I guess property is one of those things. We all live in We all live in a property, whether we own it or whether we rent it. But it's important as a property investor that, that we're always aware that everyone's always going to have opinions. And don't confuse the stuff that you can read as quality research. Be wary of, um, albeit well-meaning, but comments from, from, from banks and um, a lot of property commentators and general media, unless they are actually studying property markets for a living and earning their own income from you know, um, a good reputation, well, they're not experts at all. They're just expressing an opinion. Okay, mate. So given all that, what has been your best investment and why? Uh, oh, I mentioned it earlier. Um, Hobart was, uh, uh, was one of several. Um, yeah, and that comes about by having the courage to ignore what everyone's saying and objectively analyze the market fundamentals in, in different years um that's places like orange you know orange has grown in in central new south wales median house prices basically doubled in the last six years mm. if you went back six years ago and did a straw poll of every so-called expert in australia um which property market would be the best performer no one would have said orange um you know and these locations the best performers if you broke australian real estate down the blocks of five years uh, they're, they're more often not going to be among the 200 non-capital city locations than the eight capital city locations. So maybe, maybe that's my tip number eight, Peter. Yeah. You know, um, early in the 2000s when I was doing talking business for Qantas, I interviewed a guy who was pretty sharp when it came to properties. And he said he was going up to a place called Bean Lee, which I didn't know all that well, but it's around the Sanctuary Cove area, isn't it? A bit north of that. And he was taking a million dollars and he was buying 10 properties, average price around $100,000. And he looked at me and he said, and they will all be property um, positively geared. And he said, um, and he, he didn't know what they were going to do, but in the space of two or three years, the price has nearly doubled. And I yep. thought, you know, when you, when you can buy assets where you start off, every one of them is positively geared, but yeah, the money the money coming in is more than the money going out to actually bankroll it. And you get that kind of capital growth. That's really good property investing, isn't it? 
Uh, a great story. Not what we would do, though. Um, he has, he's respected the cash flow, but he's put all his eggs in that one basket. So, you know, no one has a crystal ball, including propertyology. And if your analysis, uh, you know, gets it wrong or something changes that no man of research, you know, um, could have brought to your attention before you make that decision, then you've exposed all of your capital uh, to that. So, yeah, it needs to spread it. Great, great for him, but not what I would do. Yeah. And I, I should say, he's the kind of guy who had, had a lots of, individual millions around lots of different areas there you go so he has spread it around yeah yeah he was a professional great to talk to you mate that's uh, Always a pleasure. of propertyology thanks peter and that's the show for this week filmed on the gold coast via zoom of course and uh thanks for joining us remember a lot of the stuff we talk about here is looked at in more detail in the switzer report um, and so I think you should go to switzerreport.com.au, the website, get a, a handle on what we're offering with the report. It does give you insights that will help you invest successfully and in a rewarding kind of way uh, going forward. So have a look at switzerreport.com.au. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'll talk to you on Monday night.